may be seated. Have you ever been completely bewildered? You know, been in a situation where, where you just absolutely did not understand what was going on around you. That's exactly how the followers of Jesus must have felt in the days following his crucifixion. After all, they had hoped that Jesus would be a, a conquering hero who would bring political liberation to Israel. No doubt as his earliest followers, they figured they'd be in on the ground floor of his, his government, have cabinet positions, and, and be able to exert influence on the, the new order. But Jesus' death surely put an end to this dream. After all, how can a dead man lead a revolution? But now strange things were beginning to happen. It was only a, a few days after Jesus' death, on what we now call Easter Sunday, and rumors were starting to spread among Jesus' closest followers that he was, get this, alive. He who had been dead, perhaps now alive. And some of the followers of Jesus didn't believe this, and quite understandably, I would say. After all, if somebody told us that someone who had died was alive, we would be very, very cautious about accepting that, even if it were from a most trusted source. Meanwhile, others might have had an inkling or, or at least a hope that this was true, but they didn't quite know for sure what to make of it. And so with this background in mind, we look to our sermon text today, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning because your word is a living word. And it is by that word that you mold us and shape us into the people that we should be. It is by that word that you give us new life in Christ Jesus. And so we ask that you would do that today. Speak to us, teach us, mold us, rejuvenate us, and give us new life. Make us a new creation in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Follow along now as I read from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. This is the inspired word of God. The very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, 
mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ that he should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I think there are all sorts of interesting lessons that we can learn from this passage. Today, we're going to touch on some of them, but it's my conviction that most of all, this passage points to one thing. And that is that, that more than anything else, there is a deep need that each one of us shares. And that need, above all other needs, is that we all need an encounter with Jesus. That is our greatest need. We need an encounter with Jesus. And before we have this encounter with Jesus, certain things are true of us. First of all, our eyes are blind. In verse 16, we're told, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. These two disciples, as they walked along the Judean countryside, were completely blind to the fact that Jesus was right there in front of them, right in front of their very blind eyes. Now I can relate a little bit to this about having trouble seeing. I was just talking with somebody this morning about how my eyes are, are very nearsighted. If I'm not wearing my contact lenses, I, I can read something about this far away from me, but once it gets beyond that, I'm lost. 
Last time I went to the eye doctor, I sat down and he said, read the lowest line you can on the eye chart. I said, I think the top line is an E. That's about how bad my eyes are. And now as I've gotten older, something else is happening. I, I have my contacts in and, and you hand me something to read right now and I look at this and, and, and I have to kind of do this. And so now I can't see things far away and I can't see things close up. I'm, I'm completely unable to see the things that are right there before me. And this is kind of a picture of our spiritual condition, isn't it? Apart from Christ Jesus, things can be right in front of us. And we fail to see them. That's why sometimes we share the truths of Scripture with people. And they're just so perfectly clear to us. And we share it with them. And they just reject them out of hand as if we're speaking some foreign language. As if the things we're saying make absolutely no sense to us. And we can't understand that. Because it's so perfectly clear to us. How can it not be clear to them? It's because their eyes are blind to the truth. And so are we. Before we have an encounter with Jesus. Secondly, our minds are misunderstanding. As we return to the text, we see that these two disciples thought certain things about Jesus. Verse 19 says that they thought he was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now, technically, this is a true statement. He was a prophet. And he was mighty in both deed and word. But it is at the same time a woefully inadequate statement, isn't it? Because he was not just a prophet. He was far more than that. Their answer, their answer is like that of so many who profess to like Jesus' teaching. They think he's a good moral example. They think he's got some nice stuff to say they'll give a tip of the cap to Jesus as a teacher or as an example, but they fail to get, bow the knee to Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And frankly, we're the same way oftentimes, aren't we? We are perfectly content with going along with what Jesus has to say to us so long as he says the things that we want to hear. We will, therefore, shape a Jesus in our minds that is, is constructed according to our thoughts and our desires. We misunderstand who he actually is. Before we have an encounter with him, our eyes are blind, our, heart, our minds are misunderstanding, and our hearts are confused. Verse 21, the disciples say, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, the redemption that they were looking for was not the redemption that Jesus intended to bring. They were looking for a political redemption. They were looking for Jesus to be a conquering hero who would drive out the Romans and give a liberation to Israel that they could be politically autonomous, that they could have that kind of liberty, that kind of freedom. And we too long for that kind of freedom often. We, we see that as the greatest good, that we can have our personal liberties, that we can have our personal freedoms. 
that we can have the kind of political influence that we want to have, that the laws of our land will fall in line with what we desire and we consider that to be our greatest good and that is what we want more than anything else. But Jesus says that's not what he came to bring. He came to bring something altogether different. And so when we go before God praying, we pray for the complete wrong things at times. I'm not sure I may have shared this story with you before, but when I was a little child, I remember praying that when I woke up in the morning, God would have filled my closet with superhero costumes. That was my prayer as a little four-year-old, five-year-old, whatever. Trusted in God's abilities. I really believed he could do that. And you know what he could have? But that's not what God wanted to do. It was a childish prayer. Oftentimes now, though, my prayers are just as childish. They're just as selfish. They're just wanting what I want and not what God wants. John Calvin described prayer as being when our heart reaches out to God's hearts. You see, our, our prayers should be more than just a to-do list, but, but I think that's often where our hearts are, if we're honest with ourselves. What we really want is God to be our genie in a bottle. We want him to be the Santa Claus who brings us gifts. We want him to be the machine that we can put a quarter in and punch a button and he dispenses what we want that's not who god is that's not what he is meant to be if we encounter christ he will change our hearts so they are no longer this way and our prayers will begin to change not just asking god for the things that we want but praising god for the person he is worshiping him glorifying him desiring to be closer to him to know him better to walk more faithfully with him to as calvin put it pour out our cares and concerns into the bosom of the lord let's do this but let us do so with the desire that all the while he will be changing our hearts he will be reshaping us and molding us and and causing us to be the people that he would have us be so that our hearts no longer would be confused so before we encounter jesus our eyes are blind our minds are misunderstanding our hearts are confused and our feet are weary and we are full of fear the trio is walking along this road to emmaus and we see in verse 28 they drew near to the village to which they were going well it's clear that the the two disciples we're going to stop there. We read in verse 28 that, that Jesus acted as if he were going further. But with nightfall approaching, the disciples urged him strongly to stay with them. Surely a, a seven-mile walk had, had left them weary and tired. And beyond that, traveling in that day was not like it is in our day. It's not just a matter of getting in your car and locking the doors and rolling up the windows and driving to your next place with the air conditioning on and getting out and being safe. Their night travel was very dangerous. There were, were thieves that wandered the countryside. There were wild animals. It could be very dangerous 
traveling at night. And so they urged him in verse 29, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And Jesus, of course, accepted this invitation and went in to stay with them. But I don't want to just pass over the part that we said there, that he had acted as if he were going further. As if that was his plan. I, I find this to be an interesting point. And it's not the first time that Jesus employed this technique. In Mark 6, we read the story of Jesus walking on water. And in verse 48 of that chapter, we see that, that Jesus, uh, as he was walking on water, it says, In about the fourth watch of night, he came to them walking on the sea. And it says this, it says, He meant to pass them by. It's kind of odd, isn't it? He went walking on the sea, and he just meant to walk right by them. Why do you suppose he did that? Why do you suppose he meant to pass them by? Why do you suppose here on this occasion he acted as if he were going to go further? I, I, I think that the reason has to do with this. While God is always with us, there are times that he pulls away his felt presence. He, he draws away that felt presence so that we might feel what it is like to not have him with us. That we might feel what it is like to need him all the more so that we might have the opportunity to call out to Jesus asking him to draw near. We see this in the Old Testament in Lamentations 3 in this chapter. We see words such as these. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again. The whole day long he has made my flesh and skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in the darkness like the dead of long ago. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like this is how God has treated you? That he has, he has just brought you into darkness and he has left you lost and you don't know which way to turn and you feel all alone and you feel like like. Your, your life has been not just hard, not just difficult, but borderline impossible. You don't know what you're going to do. You need help. You need comfort. You need peace. If you've ever been there, and perhaps you're there this morning, know this. The same author who wrote those words just a moment later in Lamentations 3 writes this. This I call to mind, and therefore I have new hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Knowing that our hope is in him when he seems to be passing us by, we can call out to him. We can call out to him and know that he will draw near, that he will comfort us, that he will shelter us, that he will care for us, 
We read the words earlier, didn't we? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so it is with our misunderstanding minds, our blind eyes, our confused hearts, and our weary feet full of fear that we are all desperately in need of help. Help that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. So step back onto that road with me, if you will, that road to Emmaus that those disciples were on as they traversed those seven dusty miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus on that day. And as we walk alongside with these two disciples and Jesus, let us see what happens when they encounter Jesus. We see, first of all, that that he teaches our misunderstanding minds. He teaches our misunderstanding minds. This shouldn't surprise us. Much of what Jesus did during his ministry was teach. And, And that's a very important part of his ministry, for sure. Sometimes he did this at the temple. Sometimes he did this in the marketplace. Sometimes he did this on the seashore. Wherever he went, he would teach. He would expound the scriptures, and he would use parables, and and he would even use miracles to teach what he wanted people to learn. He'd say, I am the bread of life. Then he would feed thousands. He would say, I am the light of the world. And then he would restore sight to a blind man. He would say, I am the resurrection and the life, and he would raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was constantly teaching, both by word and deed. So it should be no surprise that he would spend his time with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, teaching them. And what a Bible study that must have been. Verse 27 says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Just think what he might have said to them on that day. Genesis 3. The Lord God said to the servant, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 22. He said to Abraham, to your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm 132. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Zechariah 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Exodus 12, now the blood shall be 
a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Psalm 69, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Psalm 22, they divide my garments among them, and for clothing they cast lots. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53, again, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. He poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Psalm 118, the stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isaiah 28, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. Daniel 7, Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. These passages were all written hundreds, some thousands of years before Christ, and yet they all very clearly point to him. What a day that must have been. What a Bible study that must have been to have the Lord himself open up the scriptures and show how they all point to him. All of the scriptures are about him. It's not just a matter of teaching us to live better lives. The scriptures point us to Jesus who did live the better life, who did die the death we should have died, who rose from the dead, and who reigns on high even now. We need to see this when we open the scriptures. And yet we cannot because of our blind eyes. It, it is only when our eyes are open through our encounter with the Lord that we can see it. And that's the second thing he does. He gives sight to our blind eyes. We read in verse 31 that after Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were opened. Why was it in the breaking of the bread that the disciples had their eyes open that they saw Jesus, who he truly was? Perhaps it was because they noticed it was with those nail-pierced hands that he broke the bread. Or, or perhaps it reminded them of how he had, had been broken for their sin himself. Or perhaps they remembered how Jesus had, before he had been betrayed, broken bread for the disciples in the institution of the Lord's Supper for whatever reason, by whatever means. Eyes that were once blind were now opened so that they might be able to see the truth. And this goes hand in hand with the next thing that Jesus does. He, he sets ablaze our confused hearts. This must happen before our eyes can be opened to the truth or in conjunction with it. So it happens with the, the Emmaus Road disciples. In verse 32 we read, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened 
the scriptures. You see, the, the key is not just having a knowledge about things in our head, but, but our hearts must be set ablaze by Christ. We must be, be drawn into worship. We must, we must love him and long for him and need him. Sometimes we don't even fully understand all these things. But God sets our hearts ablaze for him. And that's the key. We need to have our hearts on fire for Jesus. As this happens, we'll begin to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of him. We'll, we'll long to know him better. We'll seek that. We'll prayerfully ask God to teach us. We'll open his word and study. And he will teach our minds but necessarily as he teaches us it will lead to action not just learning but action and so he moves our weary fearful feet remember back in verse 29 how those two disciples had urged jesus to stay it was dangerous remember they were fearful what might be facing them on the road they were weary and tired from a long day well, apparently at the end of this passage today, that's no longer a persuasive argument to themselves, is it? For what do we see happen at the end of this passage? But they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They forsook the late hour and the dangers of the road. They didn't care about the weariness of their feet. They were ready to move at once. It wasn't just that they wanted to, but they, they had to. They had to get back there to share this truth with others that they had encountered the living Christ. They were compelled to tell the risen Savior. So they traveled seven miles through the dangers of the dark. On their weary feet that had already walked seven miles the other way that day. So that they could share the truth. Just imagine it. Picture the scene as they arrive back in Jerusalem, coming to the room where the disciples were huddled together behind locked doors. They got there and they pounded on the door Let us in! Let us in! And the door was opened. They breathlessly burst into the room. You'll never believe it. Before they could even get it out of their mouths, the others say to them, the Lord has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. Just as they couldn't wait to share that news with the 11, so too the 11 couldn't wait to share this news with them. You see, we're created to be social creatures relating to one another, relational beings. That's why when you go to a nice restaurant and you have just an exquisite meal, it's not enough to just enjoy it. You want to tell people about it, right? I had the best meal. It was, it was so good. You need to go there so you can have that experience too. Or in my case, you know, being the big sports fan I am, I see this incredible play in a game and I'm just amazed. Whoa, what a catch! And I'll call Aaron. Aaron, come here, you gotta see this. Let me rewind it. And she doesn't care at all. But she comes. 
because she knows that my joy is bound up not just in experiencing this, but in sharing that experience with others. And so I do. Likewise, it's only natural if we've had an encounter with Jesus, we should want to share that experience with others, that they might share in our joy. I'm not saying that we're all called and gifted to be missionaries or evangelists, but we all, each and every one of us who have had an encounter with Jesus should know the joy that comes from that and want to share that joy with others. We need to always be prepared, as the Apostle Peter says, to give a reason for the hope that is in us. So in closing, I just have a few questions for you. First, do you know the identity of the one who has found you on the road? Do you know who that is? Are your eyes blinded to the truth, or can you see him for who he truly is? It is Jesus, the risen Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, he who died for your sins and rose from the dead that you might have new life. Does not your heart burn within you as he opens the scriptures to you, as, as you hear his word? Do you strongly urge him to stay with you? And how ready are you to share the joyful truth that the Lord is risen indeed? For those of us who have experienced the life-changing truth that Christ has risen, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, we are created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so as christ further seizes your heart and as you grow in understanding of what he has done for you as as your eyes are continually open that you might more clearly see who he is may you even with weary feet even at times falteringly and stumbling, walk in the good deeds that he have created beforehand that you might walk in them. May you always know that even as we stumble, even as we fall, even as we fail, he is faithful. And his faithfulness endures forever. All we have needed hand is provided. Great is his faithfulness indeed. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we